Hey, Mom Nation. Welcome to our From the Heart podcast, where we share inspirational stories, useful information, and we discuss a wide variety of women-related topics. While you're listening to this episode on your favorite podcast platform, please subscribe to our channel and rate us so that we can get this information out to the moms that need to hear it. If you'd like to join the conversation, we are at Mom Nation USA. That's our handle on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Ryan Gilliam, Senior Mortgage Banker with Waterstone Mortgage. If you're looking to buy a new home or even refinance a current one, I'm able to help you find the best program and interest rate that fits your specific needs. You could call me anytime directly at phone number 480-635-3035 if you have any mortgage questions or if you're ready to get pre-approved for a new home purchase. Thank you. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of From the Heart. And like usual, we have women on as guests that have been through a lot and have pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and really made an amazing life for themselves, even though that they've gone through some uh, trauma, some tragedy, whatever the case may be. And we have one of those really amazing stories. My friend, my bowler extraordinaire, my cruise buddy, Kay, Kayleen, how, what, oh, I don't know. We had so many other nicknames for you. I won't go through them all. Yeah, it may Kayleen's not all be fine. appropriate for, yeah, that's for true. radio. <laughs> yes. But thank you so much for being with us today and for being willing to share a bit about your story. Um, you know, I don't have very much experience with the foster care system. I've heard about it. You know, we've heard um, lots of negative things about it, unfortunately. And when I learned that this is something that you experienced during your childhood, I was, I I don't want to use the word excited to dive into it, but I was very interested to Mm -hmm. dive into it. Not excited that you had to deal with, you know, any of that negativity that you had to deal with, but I'm very, very interested in what that process was like, what that experience was like from the eyes of a child. So you tell me where a good place is to start. When did this all kind of go down? Um, I, I can't give exact because I don't remember exact dates, right? So I'll give you years. Um, I was about eight and we I lived in Indiana. It was my mother, me, my two older brothers and her husband. She had married at the time. Um, and, you know, we I have minor glimpses of like, her and her husband and their, you know, his kids that they had together in our house and where we lived. Um, but one day she just left. My mom just left, like just left. And so it was me and my two older brothers and my two older brothers kind of like figured out how to cook the food in the house or give us cereal or do whatever. I mean, they could give us so much more detail on that. Cause I'm sure they have a lot more memory of it than I do. Right. Um, and then essentially what happened is my uncle found her like five days later in, in a bar somewhere. And she just was like, I don't want to be a mom anymore. And so she gave up all her rights. And at that point, my dad was there. He's like a career criminal, essentially. Unfortunately, he's better now. But back, you know, when, when I was at the age, he definitely was not in a spot where he could take care of me. And mm-hmm. so basically the state of Indiana took legal guardianship of me and my two older brothers. And it kind of started from there, I guess. And were you able to stay together? No. So in some instances you can do it, but in our instance, because my dad had family that lived here in Arizona, that it kind of, they wanted to keep you with your family first. In my experience, 
that's what it was. Like they said, okay, well, their mom can't do it. The dad can't do it. Let's ask the dad because clearly the mom is not in shape sort of kind of thing. So they did their own sort of networking. I can't tell you how long that took because during that time they put us in what's called the guardian's home, which is essentially a facility for children that are in the foster care system and like last minute situations where their parents, they can't stay with their parents, but there's no immediate foster child, you know, foster care home for them to go to. So they unfortunately go to a spot where it's like a group home, basically like you share one room with, you know, people of the same age and sex and in your section. And then the, the boys are over there. But then they still like you go to school together, you spend time together, like with your other siblings and stuff like that, because you guys are kind of there. Um, but I didn't it was really like in that instance, I remember a couple of like punishable instances back in the day it was still OK, you know, in certain places to strike children, you know, when they were bad kind of thing, you know, but I mean, this is back in the early nineties, maybe. Um, so I remember a couple of those instances where like we got in trouble when we went down to like the principal's office basically, and they would like paddle us, which is kind mm. of weird. Mm. Um, but I mean, so all that happened, we were there. And then I guess the state got with my aunt, who's like my mom. Cause she, she's the one that kind of took me in as a replacement. Um, and they, they was like, Hey, we have your two brothers or the girl you can have one or the other because you cannot keep all three because of mm. it's just her and her husband and being far away and like you know her husband was the one working and she was working and they just didn't want to set her up for failure to take all three of us just in case she couldn't handle all three of us um, and so uh, when you're in the foster care system they give you a um, it's called a guardian ad litem which is essentially a person that goes to you and says hey what do you want to do with your what do you want like, it's like the voice for the children, even though the children, because the children can't really make those decisions, but they're kind of like the intermediary between like the court system and the children. Um, and so that process went through and my brothers, they asked my brothers if they wanted to go to my aunt's and my brother said no. And so they took me instead. And so my brother stayed here. Well, I guess there technically <laughs> they stayed there and they went into actual foster care, like into the actual system. And then I moved with my aunt. And then that that started <laughs> and, and and right. And and so take me back to when mom left. I'm terribly sorry, uh, oh, okay. by the way. I mean, as an eight year old, take me through like, what did you know? What were um, you aware of and how did that unfold emotionally? Like, I don't think I even really understood what was going on. You know what I mean? Because I like mm -hmm. I. I, I like I knew she was there one day and then she wasn't there for a while. But I think uh, and certain aspects of my childhood, like I just can't remember. Like, that's why I mean, yeah. like I can. It's kind of like as a child, you block your own memories from things. Maybe that emotionally you just can't handle. So there's stuff that I don't remember at all. But there's other things that I remember, like that particular question. I don't even remember that. Like I remember being at my house and then I remember being at my uncle's house because we went to my uncle's first because he lived in Indiana with us. And then I don't really remember anything. I only remember bits and pieces. Like, I don't even know how much time had unfolded during that time, but I, so just little pieces come back. And so I think emotionally my, my brain just kind of shut it off. So I couldn't remember it. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm very much like that now. Like I, I think, you know, when you just mentioning that, like as an adult, I compartmentalize very well. Mm-hmm. 
And I think maybe that sort of set me into like the same kind of path now, because like, if I just don't want to deal with it, I just, just like, I'll deal with it later. And I just chop it off and talk about something else. And it doesn't seep in. Yeah. Into yeah. the other things that you're doing or the other things that you're focused on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And I could see where that would be really beneficial in some ways in life. Um, you know, for instance, if something goes down at home and you got to go to work and you, you got to put that out of your mind. So that way you can work and, you know, be present at work. You can see where yeah, that would sometimes, be beneficial. Sometimes that's really hard too, though. Cause I'm just like, cause a lot of times stuff just piles up because I'm, I'm always go, go, go. And I'm always doing something. So it's like when that one, that time does sort of happen, it's kind of like, okay, well, this is my day. Like today's my day. I'm not going to work. I'm not going out. I'm not leaving. And that's okay with me because that's how I can process and like really like use that time to understand why it bothers me so much or what it is. It's, it's kind of this own mental thing. A lot of therapy when you're in foster care and in the system, they give you a lot of therapy. So um, if you choose to use the tools they give you, that's how you succeed. Like regardless. And I want to talk about that too. That's actually on my, my list of things to ask you about um, as far as what was offered to you and what you took advantage of as far as tools, as far as, you know, therapists, different things like that to get you to the amazing place that you are right now. I mean, you are incredible. You have how many degrees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, oh, sorry. What was that last part? You have how many degrees? Two, two. I have two. I have one associates in information technology. My bachelor's is in operations management. Which is super. I mean, you amaze me. I I know I've, we have just kind of started getting to know each other, but we had an (laughs) opportunity to talk a couple of days ago privately. And I was sitting there just totally floored with your story to know that what you, what your beginnings were, what you went through, what you had to deal with as a very, very young child. And then to be the incredible parent, the professional bowler, the, <laughs> you know, couple of degree holding girl that you are now is just like, it's phenomenal to me. So, so bravo to you for all of that work that you put into yourself. It yeah, definitely- it was a, it was definitely a mental choice, I think, because like, I have flashbacks of like domestic violence in my mom's household with not my, well, with my father, for sure, but also with her other husband, the one that I can remember Mm -hmm. And just seeing her in those, those moments, like there were times where she was put in the hospital and stuff like that. And just seeing her in those moments, it, it gives you like a, like, I don't ever want to be that person. Yeah. I'm like, I never want to like, I just can't do it. So independently for me, there's just no way I can actually do that. I don't, it's like hard coded in my head. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And that really just shows how much strength you have as an individual, which I think is phenomenal and so very impressive. Um, and and let, let me take you back just a, a bit more. I have a, sure. a, a little bit uh, or another question for you. And I know if the memory is foggy, I totally get it. Like it's no big deal. But did when you were taken from the uncle's house and then put into the group home, was there any sort of explanation? Did they come to you and say, Hey, here's, here's what you can expect. Here's what's going on. You got to live with these kids for a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. were you kind of just thrown into that? Um, I don't think I ever had that conversation. If I'm being honest. Um, I know that 
in talking to my brothers, there were some sort of conversations like that to them. And, and then they said that they had tried to sort of explain it to me, but again, I'm eight. And so all I want to do is hang out, I hang out with kids and play. And so I think for me, it kind of was more of like a, okay, well, whatever, but they weren't, they weren't as a lot of their answers were, a lot of their things were vague, right? Mm. Like we're not really sure when, but eventually. So, I mean, in, in certain people, and I, I think, I don't even remember, you know, holding on to hope at that point, right? I don't even remember that portion, but I think that maybe they do that for the sake of like the emotional well-being of the children, mm-hmm. because that, you know, kids, you know, telling them something devastating like that can be really detrimental. And so I think maybe the way they word it in, in when they're talking to children is kind of how it wasn't that big of a deal for us. Cause like my brothers, I think my brothers kind of knew if I'm being honest, like, I think, I think they just knew. And, and, and it was like very apparent. And so all they wanted to make sure was that I was okay. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, you had said that you had experienced some disciplinary action in the group home. Mm-hmm. Um, what other experiences can you remember? Was it a, a overall positive experience? Or yeah, it was, it was drama. Like, you know, not really. I mean, again, I'm eight, right. And so I don't really have a lot of, there wasn't a lot of things there. And luckily when you're in then back then, I don't know, unfortunately, about how the system works now. But back then, it was very like, even though you're in your situations, your guardian ad litem would come to get you once a week and take you out to get ice cream or to get whatever. And then they'd also let your aunt or your parents or your cousins, or whoever come visit you there. So it was like a visitation sort of situation. So before they were able to let me move in with my aunt, I had to have supervised visits there. I recall those very well. Um, because like it's you and then there's one other person in the room and like they're just sitting there but they have to observe to see how the the doll and the child interact to see if it's going to be a safe space or not mm-hmm. so what about your relationships with the other kids that were in the the group home maybe the other girls that you had to share a room with or were do you recall any making any special bonds do you still know these people so not any of them. No, um, I don't remember like making any particular like better friendships or anything like that then. Um, but when I moved in with my aunt, I actually have a childhood friend that lived down the street that I'm still friends with now. She's the the closest thing I have back to then. Um, so. Oh, that's great. That's nice that you were able to establish and then hang on to a relationship for so long. Um, because you did some moving after that, right? Yeah, so I did. with your aunt, it wasn't a permanent situation. You ended no. up going back, right? Yes, yes. So some situations unfolded and I was a character, like a key witness in some um, sexual abuse that happened to children. And I, at that point, I was staying at my aunt's house and they thought my aunt was an unfit parent. And so even though you know, people don't understand that people that are like that, they're like master manipulators and they say anything and they paint you this picture and to give the other adults, give you like, give you a sense of comfort. So you're okay with your kid hanging out with them. And it's not like I only ever went over there. I mean, his, you know, the, the other children used to come to my house and we all went to school together. So it wasn't like just some random people we didn't know. We had a long standing couple of year, like friendship with this, with his, with his sons and some other things. So, yeah, so I was there and then they, I just came home one day. I mean, it was, that was probably my switch. I call it a switch, like where you go from being like a child and kind of living this, you know, 
magical lifestyle that you think is happy and you know forever and whatever and to where it just like crashes down in like two sentences and so mm. I got off the bus from school I saw my friend I said I'll see you later I come to my aunt's house there's a lady in the front and she's just like get in the car we're going we're getting on an airplane and we're leaving like and my aunt's like crying in the house because you know what? I don't, I don't remember exactly what was said to them. I just remember my aunt being very distraught and like her having to walk me to my room and explain to me that I had to go back, you know, before my safety, you know, because they make the, the parents say things that, you know, make it okay, even though you can clearly tell it's not. So yeah. that was my switch. And so like immediately after that, I was like, F this yeah. in the most political terms correctly. Like everything was fine. It's fine. I told on somebody because they were doing something wrong. And then it's like, you almost feel punished in that moment for telling. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a big thing for me. But after that, a lot of therapy and it kind of helps you realize that, you know, it's not fair how it happened, but it wasn't really your fault and you're not being punished for it. It's just, unfortunately, you know, to protect that child in case there's something else going on or whatever, it's just, a thing they have to do. Yeah. So, so then you went back to the group home? No. So actually from there, I went, I went back to Indiana and they immediately put me in emergency foster care, which was a lady's house. Like just some lady, the person took me to her house and I was there with, it was her and some other girl in like the middle of nowhere. It was like some sticks. Like it was like the country. Um, But I mean, the lady was nice and the daughter was nice. Unfortunately, we didn't, I didn't live there very long because that, um, the other girl had a lot of emotional triggers and like, she came from a really abusive kind of thing. And, you know, like the side of blood would like freak. I mean, she'd go into like a rage and she would just like freak out. And like, there was, you know, and unfortunately that was just a, a, you know, a byproduct of all the trauma that she had. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was, I mean, we had good times together. I remember us listening to like Backstreet Boys jumping up and down on the bed. Like I have very good memories of sections of that. But then I just remember, you know, one day I was there. I don't remember how long I was there. The, the lady that was watching me was like, uh, this isn't a good fit for you. And I don't remember the other girl's name, but we have to move you. And then I went from there to another foster home. So I was there with another foster lady with another, uh, another foster daughter that she had, they try to keep same sex foster homes. So like yeah. if, if a parent has children, a girl, they will only give them girls unless it's a family that has siblings, right? Gotcha. Because it's kind of, they try to keep them together, but in some, in most situations, it just doesn't work like that, especially if there's more than two children. So, so obviously they, they have, um, rules, they have ways of choosing the homes Mm -hmm. that you're going to go to. Who are these people? Are they just, um, individuals that come forward and say, Hey, I want to help out. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to foster a child for a, a certain amount of time or an extended amount of time, or like, how does that work? So the foster care system has a very, I don't know about now. Um, but then it was a very rigorous, like if you want to be a foster parent, and I think even now they make them jump through a lot of different hoops. You have to go through certain evaluations, either psyche valves, they have to make sure you can support yourself and a child. There's a bunch of like hoops and different things that they make people go through if they want to become a foster parent. But then when someone becomes a foster parent, the foster parent gets to choose 
Like I want girls between this age or I want boys between this age or I only want babies or I only want because in all reality, the older the child is, the harder they are to control if they've experienced so much trauma right. in a short amount of time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's harder to place anyone over the age of 12. So what happens with those kids? I mean, they still get placed, but a lot of them, they just hop a lot, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. they'll go somewhere and if they don't get along with all the kids and it causes problems, then they will go to another location. But, you know, it's not like one of those, you just wake up one day and decide you don't want to be there. So when you're there and you're in that foster care situation, for me, they had people that came to see me once a week. So how's everything going? Are you liking this? Are you not liking this? What do you think about this? This was even after like all the court case and stuff was done and all that other stuff was done from when I got, you know, moved back and things like that. They still, I still had that team. I remember my guardian, the light name. Her name was Laura. She was like the best person. It was Laura. Oh. And I want to say Jessica, they were like the best two people ever. Laura was my counselor, Laura Kimball. Don't remember what, don't know her name now. I don't know what she is now. But um, she was definitely like my, you know, like when when you get and put in those places and you have people that, you know, come to see you and they talk to you and you're like, no, nah, I don't really like that or you don't really like this. I need this. I need, I feel like they use that time and they used it for me anyway um, to to be able to help me, you know, get the right team, I guess. And I maybe I just got lucky. And I just had a bomb team, right? Because the team is just chosen by the state. There is no, I don't get to choose. The team says, you're a guardian litem. Here's your caseload is essentially mm. how it goes. And I just got really lucky with the lady that I had as my guardian litem because she was like a teenager, but she was like grown. You know what I mean? I mean, she gotcha. was very, she was fun, right? And, and I think that made a very large difference in, in kind of like how I, you know, how Went you connected. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you felt a bond there with her, right. Yeah. And probably at that point in time, it, you weren't really bonding with too many people. I would yeah. imagine, yeah. um, mm -hmm. you know, just given the amount of time that you, you were in so many different places. So the lady with the, uh, the foster daughter, I'm assuming that had all the trauma you moved from there and then, and then what? And then I went to another one with another girl. And then I was there for a while and that was not a good place to be. That was not a, a good foster care situation because the girl, she was, we're going to say fast, also promiscuous, if you would like to use those words. Ah. And so at this time, I'm probably, I'm definitely older than 13, but I'm definitely younger than 16. So somewhere in that age range. And she, we had a lot of like neighborhood friends that she went to school with. But you could tell that the people she went that she was hanging out with were not the people you want to hang out with. And mm. so me and her didn't really get along. Like I have a, a bad girl side to me, if you if you will. And so I go do stuff and probably, you know, as a kid, I can't remember what I did. And even if I did, I'm not going to say it on here. <laughs> but um, like I would probably dabbled in it a little bit. But I just think that for me, like kind of that lifestyle was just that wasn't something I wanted to do. Like I like I could I have done it and just been whatever and just yes. But to me, that's not, that's, 
at that point, it was just, I'm going to prove people wrong that you guys didn't need to move me. And I still was going to be fine. And at that point, like I, I have no, even to this date, I have no respect for authority in any type of manner because of that traumatic experience where, you know, they were look, they were an authority figure and I didn't have a choice. Yeah. So I try to avoid those because uh, if you can't give me a choice, then I don't want to be there. So it's, I have very large issues with that. Um, like as an adult, but because of the other foster care girl, like, um, I can't remember if I went from that one and I got in trouble and then I got expelled from school. And then I stopped, I started skipping school. I don't remember where that happened in the time frame. I don't remember if it was that one or another one, but I remember I started skipping school and I was like, got in trouble for truancy and all this other stuff. And then I got sent to um, what's called girl school, which is like essentially a under 18 prison for girls. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. And is that where you remained until you were 18? Yes. Well, I was 17. So I definitely was older than 13, but younger than 17 because I got released from that facility a month after my 17th birthday. And how was the experience there? Um, so that's interesting. Uh, I actually have a friend that I'm still friends with now that I met there. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yes, actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was interesting because it's, they, it's very much like think of like a real prison. It is exactly the same. The only difference is there's no walls. There are now walls because since I've been back and forth, you know, this was 20 some 20 plus years ago you know, there was no walls. It was just, you could jump, you could walk out and go across the street if you wanted to and escape. Like there was no, there's no real, like whatever, you know, they tell you not to and then all the other stuff. But um, it was interesting. The people, the diversity there was very interesting. Um, there were a lot of high case criminals there that were under the age 18 that weren't allowed to be in what's considered general population or like in the, they're called cottages. Um, so like based on whatever you're, you get in trouble for, you get a level, right? A, a, like a high severity to low severity. Like how dangerous are you or versus you not? Can I just put you in a room with a bunch of kids and you gonna do what you want and you just made a mistake? Okay, or are you gonna be combative and wanna fight us all the time? So there are very far extremes. So it was actually interesting, you know, the the day-to-day -day stuff and a lot of the, um, there was a lot of, uh, like female to female relationships on the dorm. So when you're on a dorm, there's essentially two wings. Um, and so like, you have like a common day area and then, you know, that's where you hang out when you're not at school or doing whatever you're doing. And then the hallways split and then there's rooms down here and rooms down here. And there's usually two people per room and it's two girls per room. Mm -hmm. So, um, the inside of the inside, like it was really like, you meet a lot of really cool people and like you can hang out with them, but there's a lot of like, it's like around that time is when girls start kind of wanting to figure out what they want to do with their life and like all this other kind of stuff. So it was very interesting in that sense. And like some of the, to me, it's way too much estrogen in one room as an adult. <laughs> yeah, I probably. would say that now. Um, but I mean, there was actually some really cool people there, like, and, and a lot of people, they just made a bad choice or they just got put in a bad situation or, you know, whatever the case may be, but they weren't, you know, but there were some that were kind of bad. So it wasn't too bad. I mean, and when I first got there, you were still able to wear your own clothes. And so like, 
you could have someone bring you clothes if you had clothes or whatever, you know, or have them ship you clothes. And so you could wear regular clothes while you were there. It wasn't like an actual form and like an outfit, you know, mm-hmm. that you had to wear towards the end, they changed it. And you had, they took away all your clothes that were yours that were met, whatever the dress code was. And then they put you in essentially like, you know, scrubs or whatever. So it's all the same color, like a uniform type thing. Yeah. 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 I did me and the girl I'm friends with. And one other girl, her name is Tabitha. We actually ran away from there. Like we, we made like a pact and ran away from there. Um, and we were out like two weeks before we got caught. Wow. Yeah. How did you, how did you, we just walked across the street. We just walked across the street. But being and a she minor, had like, but she had a boyfriend stay? and like oh, she okay. had all this other stuff. So she had all the connections and me and the other girl were like, fuck this shit. We're out. Sorry. Can't say that. No, out. it's fine. That's okay. Um, they were just like, we're out, man. Let's go. And I'm like, let's do it. I was just doing it to do it. Actually. I really didn't care if I got caught or not because it's across the street. They have what was called like summer camp. And it was, it's kind of interesting, but mm. like in the summer you would go over there and you would camp there for a week. They had like tents and like the showers, just like a kind of campground now. Mm-hmm. And you do a lot of like nature stuff. So it wasn't a bad place. So like, I can't even be like, it was a horrible place. I can't believe they sent me there. It was not a bad place. They even had like where you could become a cosmetologist there. That's where you, you do. That's where I got my GD. I did the majority of my GD around that time. Oh. Uh, I didn't graduate until after, but that was where I did all that was in during that time frame. So at this, what do I want to, how do I want to pose this? So where did you start to get the idea or had you, did you always have it? Like, this is not my, this is only temporary. This is not my permanent life. This is not, I'm not going down this road. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to, you know, go to school. I am really going to, going to make something out of myself and my life. When did that happen? It was probably after I got caught from running away from that place, if I'm being honest, because I kind of did it for a thrill and it was just something fun to do. And I know that's horrible and people probably should not do legal things like that just for a thrill, (laughs) you know, because it does change your severity level and they put you in what's basically it's like solitaire Mm. and you're there for like a month after they they bring you back. So it's not like, you know. Um, but I think at that point, I think somewhere during that five days of solitary confinement, essentially it's like cottage eight is what it was called. Um, it was when I kind of was like, I don't really want to be doing this. This Mm -hmm. is stupid. I don't want to be in here with these people. I don't want to be talking to these people. I don't care about these people. Like none of these people can do anything for me. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably, that's probably when the, the switch flipped for me for that, you know, for that particular question was when I was just like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Like, why am I doing this? This is dumb. <laughs> it was just not a good idea. But, you know, as a kid, you do stuff. Well, absolutely. Did, did you feel like you had somebody? I know that you really liked your guardian. Um, did you have anybody else that was sort of supporting that or was showing you the way? Or was this something that you came up with? Kind of That's just own. me. I just was like, I'm going to do it. And it's kind of like, so I, I turned 17 and I got out of there and I got put into another foster care. Um, this was my last one. 
But I also think that that foster mother and her family, it was an African-American family and it was her, her husband, they had three children of their own. And they also had two other foster cares aside from me, foster kids. So there was six of us. It's a full house. Yeah, it was a full house. But like our dad, our foster dad, he was like a long road truck driver. And she um, at the time, I think was doing uh, maybe some sort of teaching or something like that. So like the time, it just kind of meshed I guess. Uh, and during that time I found, uh, I had an individual who actually kind of helped me like keep me on the right track. You know what I mean? Like my straight and narrow, it definitely wasn't anybody in the household because in that particular foster parent, she was not that nice. Oh, she was very, um, but again, that was just like her, her mentality and her, if you like have ever seen me and I get kind of too excited, I get, I'm, I'm really loud and I'm really, I get kind of crazy. And it just kind of comes from that just because like, like in my surroundings and where I grew up at during that time kind of stuck with me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that is very much part of my character and, but she was very matter of fact, like, and, and I think maybe that helped too. She was like, well, either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I can't answer that question for you. So it's kind of like that tough love kind of thing that I, that I use a lot on people because it's honesty, but I think that actually helped a lot also because like, can I help you? Yes. Do I need to? No, not really. You don't really need my help. Mm -hmm. Like kind of like that kind of thing. You know, she's like, I know you can do it. I don't know why you're, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you wasting your time? Kind of thing. It sounds like an interesting relationship. It sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you have some some negative takeaways. Obviously, you said she wasn't very yeah. nice, but some positive takeaways as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that helped you shaped a part of your personality that sounds like you like. Yeah, I love it. I think that that being there for the time I was there definitely was kind of what solidified me. Like I got to do what I'm going to do. Nobody's going to do anything for me. And I can't play the, I can't play the victim. I can't, yes, I've been through some horrible things, like horrible things that I would never wish on my worst enemy. But those are the things that build, that you come through and make you stronger later. If you can understand really what actually happened, because all that therapy I was in mm-hmm. <laughs> was told, like I had, there was a book that's called, um, I don't, the complete works of, I'll have to remember what it is. Maybe I can send it to you, but it's a book that they give you in that, in one of the facilities I was in. That's how you get over childhood sexual abuse trauma. Mm -hmm. It's like a whole book. I got to find the book because I really love that book. I would recommend that to any kid or anybody like that who knows anybody who's kind of going, because it's like a daily book where you go through and you have to, you know, deal with it every day. There are sections where you write letters to yourself when, you know, the situation happened. There are sections when you write letter to your abuser or the person that did it to you just so that you can get that off of your chest. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That was, I think that was probably one of the, the biggest things that from my childhood trauma that helped me realize that like, I'm not the bad guy. I didn't do it. Some people just, some people are sick and some people just, they just do things that normal other people don't do. And that, and that's what happens. And you didn't do anything wrong and there's nothing you could have do it to changed it. Right. So right. kind of that <laughs> in a nutshell. I love that you have gone through that and that you have faced those things and worked through them because I feel like it has so much impact on our mm-hmm. lives now. Um, and, you know, if we choose not to work on them, 
can be a negative impact. Choosing to work on them, obviously with you is a super positive impact. Um, last question for you. I have so many more. We can have a part two if you want some. We need a part two. I'm totally writing that down. Part Part two. two. Um, (laughs) Because I want to talk about getting into school and that mindset and all of that. But, but last question for part one is, um, do you have any advice for anybody who may have been through what you have been through or, and, or somebody who might be considering fostering as a parent? Um, I think for the first part, if anybody's been through what I've been through, it's just really like understanding that there's nothing you could have done to change it. Like it doesn't matter. Like nothing you can do. You can't live in the past. You can't think about the what ifs because the what ifs aren't going to get you anywhere but stuck. So that's what I would tell anybody. You have to look at the glass half half full instead of half empty mm-hmm. because there's always going to be something you can't control. And the only thing that is consistent in life is change. So unfortunately, it's just one of those things that, you know, you just, it's hard for some people to be able to kind of suck that up. But all you need is the right person to be there, right? Like be in those moments, but find your person. Like if they have people that, if they have, there are people that are offering it to you, take it because you don't really know what can come out of it. Like I've got, so we're, we're going to pause too. We got a part two because I got stories about like after I get, after I got out and like all the other stuff that was available to me as being a child of the system and knowing where those resources were, that was, and I used them. Like I used them because the only way I'm going to get somewhere is if, if they're offering it to me and I want to be better, that's the only way I'm going to get it. So that's part one. And for the second section for whoever wants to be a parent, you just have to really, you have to just really know that that's what you want to do. And you have to know from a psychological standpoint of view, it's not easy. Like, cause there are going to be kids that have problems that you can't fix. And there are going to be things that you can't do, but that, and that's okay because not everybody can do everything. Not everybody's a superhero, right? But all you need to do is just be there. Like sometimes when a kid is acting out, or if you have a foster child or you're going to do it and they start acting out, just actually listen, like sit there and don't get upset. It's easier to get upset, you know, to kind of do that. But you really have to want to be there to like make people, you have to have it in your heart to want to make people better. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like a nurture gene, I guess. You really have to have that nurture gene to be able to be successful as a foster parent, I think. Thank you. And that makes a lot of sense. So what I'm hearing is, is the the biggest impact that you can have on these kids coming from your perspective, being a, a child that went through it is somebody who understands and mm-hmm. somebody who listens and, and somebody who's just there. I mean, not necessarily a, a miss or Mr. Fix it because again, mm-hmm. it, how, you know, we can't fix everything, but, but if, and do you feel like you had any of your foster parents were that person? Um, actually, no. None of my foster parents were the person. My guardian litem was my person. What's she was person? my, cause she was consistent through all of it from start to end. Mm-hmm. Like she was there. So she was my person. She was that consistency, that, that kind of rock for me, I guess. Oh, well, big, big, big hugs for her and, and for you too. And I am just, I'm, I mean, I know my opinion doesn't matter, but I am just so proud of you from what you've been through, what you've become the awesome parent that you are and, and all of these wonderful things that you are accomplishing and have accomplished. So big hugs, if I could give it to you. 
I'm like (laughs) up a little bit and I can't breathe and thanks a lot Kay (laughs) you're welcome that's what I'm here for I'm here to bring out those emotions and and you do it oh so well and it's really been such a pleasure getting to know you and I'm I'm super happy for the opportunity to to get to know you and to do so on on a really fun fun cruise that we just got off of. So thank you for that, too. Uh, For those of you. Yes, I'm going to pull myself together here. But for those of you who are interested in checking out any of our past episodes, you can hop over to our YouTube channel. It is at Mom Nation USA. That is our handle. You could scroll down just a little bit. You'll see the From the Heart playlist. There's a bunch of other playlists there. We've got mental wealth. We've got Q&A with a couple's counselor. We've got live and learn all of this stuff for you mamas out there to check out and enjoy. If you are more of the podcast person, like you like to listen versus watch, then you can hop over to your favorite podcast platform, do a quick search for Mom Nation Talk Radio, and you will find our channel. Thank you so much, Kay. We are going to have you on for a part two. Yay. More of me. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye.